nine iron for him. They're going to go nuts when he hits this thing. <laughs> Yo, yo, yo. Welcome in, golf fans. My name is Joe Idoni at Tour Picks. is a place you can find me on Twitter. And this is the Preferred Lines podcast for the Mexico Open at Vedanto. We are ready. We are roaring. And we've got a great show lined up for you tonight. Um, I got a guest to come along and break down the entire event, recap a little bit of Genesis, look ahead to this week, and we're going to make some picks. I got not one. I got two Coronas already open. Mexico Open week. Um, the field is what it is, but we're going to have some fun tonight. All right, here we go. Uh, I wanted to mention, have to mention before we get started, the Preferred Lines podcast is now proudly presented by the good people over at Rotoballer. I'm going to bring on Mr. Rotoballer PGA in just a minute to talk a little bit more about the offers that we have going on, but got to shout them out. Thank you for them for supporting the show. And you may be saying to yourself, Joe, why would I pay for your content when you haven't hit a winner in seven weeks? Well, here's why. I put out like six articles a week. It's worth something. At least hopefully it's a little bit of a fun read. Two, well, I haven't hit a winner. It's coming. And your boy is 14 and four in matchups. Nobody else in the entire golf Twitter sphere is 78% on individual matchups this season. I gave you some top 20 action last week and uh, launching long shots as well. The market movers was spot on with some players that we faded. All good stuff over there for myself and the entire team. Uh, and before we get out of here, if you're checking this out on Twitter right now or X, you see me live streaming there. I appreciate you. Thank you for watching the show. Do me one quick favor to keep watching it on there. Jump on over to YouTube.com. Type in Preferred Lines. Subscribe to this podcast on there. That way you get notifications when we go live. That way you're entered into all the drawings and giveaway. I give away shirts. I give away 100 bucks. I give away this, that. That's the only way to get entered in that stuff. That way I see you. I'm really trying to build that platform, and I would genuinely appreciate if you would hop over there, hit the sub button, maybe a thumbs up, and we'll keep it moving. Without further ado... Bringing on to the show, welcoming back for his third or fourth time, Mr. Rotoballer PGA, my new boss. He's been supervising all my material. He's here to give me a two-month grade on my work so far. Welcome into the show, Joe Nicely. What's up? A-plus, Joe. A-plus. You're the man, baby. Fine. You're the man. You have exceeded uh, high expectations. So uh, great to have you on board over at Rotoballer, and uh, happy to be with you tonight. What's the code you got up there? Is that thing still valid or what? 30%? Yeah, off? man, we, we keep having people use this. We tried this new promo code, promo code new, N-E-W, uh, to get 30% off. We were just going to do it the first week of the year, but so many people have hopped on that one we're, that we're just going to keep it going. So you can head over to rotoballer.com, uh, use promo code new, and get 30% off our PGA Platinum. Um, it's an amazing deal. It's the best deal we'll have all year. Yeah, our boy Spencer's over there grinding out content. Model Maniacs got the numbers like no other person does analytics in the entire industry. You get access to all of my stuff. I'm in the Discord as well. And of course, your articles over there. Um, the best deal. I think it comes down to like what, like six bucks a week or something insane. Yeah, it's something really crazy, man. It's like six or seven best. bucks a week using that promo code right now. How about the Genesis, man? I loved her, first of all. Uh, let's talk about Hideki. I loved your tweet because you were like, no one goes nuclear quite like Hideki goes nuclear. Even when Hideki does it, he's like not impressed by himself. He thought he shot three over par yesterday, but an unbelievable run. We finally get Joe like a name winning, not like a big name, I guess, internationally in terms of notoriety. He is a big name, but it's not one of the favorites is what I mean. Um, what did you make of the final round of the Genesis? What do you make of the status of the PGA tour right now? Yeah, man. Um, really, really rough start to the season um, for the PGA tour. I mean, I think even the, the biggest PGA tour supporters would probably agree with that. Um, rough west coast swing and, and you're right i feel like a deck he kind of kind of salvaged it a little bit um salvaged what's been a been a rough start to the year and and really a 
an underwhelming West Coast swing. I mean, when you talk about you have a signature event at Pebble, um, you have Phoenix, which is always awesome, um, a signature event at Riviera. Um, you kind of expect some fireworks, and we we just didn't get those. But but that final round by Hideki kind of kind of bailed out the PGA Tour a little bit, saved the week a bit. We had had Willie Z in there, who I think uh, personally I love watching play. Um, I think he's yeah. a very popular player uh, for most fans. Um, so so kind of salvaged what's been an otherwise rough start to the year with uh, with Hideki sixty two. Man, yeah, the, the dude can just go nuclear. <laughs> Um, we've seen it, you know, happen. Uh, there seems to be a couple year, couple years worth of gaps there with with Hideki doing that. But but we've learned that's who he is. I mean, he's been on been on tour for what a decade now, Joe. And, right. and we just, you know, every couple of years, Hideki's going to pop um, for for one of those crazy rounds and win a big event. Frustrated with myself in that I should have seen it. And those are the ones that sting the most. I was on Hideki. I have text threads going back with my friends before the Hawaii events like Hideki. I'm betting Hideki. I was on him at the Farmers. I think I was on him at Pebble. Um, And then I get off. There's obvious correlations between Augusta National where he won the Masters. He's obviously shown glimpses of form and continued to sort of hover around a number uh, at 80 to one that it seems like he's often comes through it like these bigger prices when people step off of him for a week. The two favorites I wanted to touch on briefly, uh, Xander and Patrick Cantlay, they're in the final group together. Um, it's amazing. And I and I think I retweeted it. If you want to check my profile, the correlation between their two careers headed into the last week, they both had the exact same amount of PGA Tour starts. I believe Cantley had one more win. Everything that they've done has been sort of nearly identical. Yet I struggle with both of them because they do not seemingly care or possess the qualities of like a superstar. Like they're not going to carry the sport. Um, They're slower players. They barely show any emotion. I can appreciate the stoicness and the ability to repeat scenarios in their own heads and not think of it as is like they're out there trying to be an artist they're thinking of it is i'm trying to be a machine right um and do the repeatable things can't lay just couldn't get anything going yesterday xander seemingly hold out for eagle and then realized that he was in the league and then shit down his leg He's in. I, I used one thing I noticed about Xander, man. Those shirts do not fit him very well. Do you see all that material in the sleeve right here? He's got going. Neither guy looked like they were happy to be there. Neither guy looked like they have any interest in carrying any sort of weight or viewership for the PGA Tour. And I wonder if, um, you know, what the next step is in the evolution of these guys' careers for them to to move forward and start winning big time events. I don't, I don't know that it happens. Um, I mean, we kind of been waiting. We kind of been waiting. Um, could I see Xander or, and or Cantley winning a major over the next five years? Sure. I mean, it could happen. Both are, uh, high class players with, with big time games, but you know, at some point, um, guys are who they show you that they are. And you know, these, both Xander and Cantley are, are quality players. They're they're kind of perennial top ten guys um, that are going to go out there and play really well consistently, um, and occasionally win. Um, and that's kind of it, I think. Um, yeah. I mean, you look at a guy like I don't know that they have that. You know, and Hideki's not like a prolific winner, um, right? But but we do know that he has that spark. He's got that extra gear mm-hmm. um, to get there in a on a big time golf course, um, against the deep field. We know that he's got that gear. Um, we've seen kind of some flashes of that from, from Cantley and, and Xander, but for the most part, um, they come up empty when in the lead. Yeah. Um, it, it's, it's kind of backdoor really good major finishes when they're out of it, you know, Xander numerous times. And we've seen Cantley do it a couple of times, um, uh, you know, fire really good rounds to kind of, kind of backdoor strong finish. So, right. You know, maybe it happens, maybe it doesn't. Um, those are two guys that I'm, as far as from a, from a betting perspective, um, I'm pretty comfortable just skipping those guys consistently 
Um, yeah, I think that that's what yeah. like like this is a betting show, so that's kind of how yeah. I view every player sort of through that lens. And if they're going to be priced under twenty to one, frankly, they're never any value to bet on um, through that lens, and they're not fun to root for. So those are the yeah. two things. Like if they have one hundred and sixty six career starts and they've won seven times, well, sixteen to one is an awful bet, no matter what the field, no matter anything that they've won. I want to root for them. They're both probably talent wise top minimum like top seven players in the world they both are they both carry a heavy burden uh, on the u.s Ryder cup teams and i love to root for them in that scenario but from just a pga tour standpoint they both seem to have these similar struggles on sunday joe and i wonder and i thought about it with patrick cantley so they had mentioned earlier in the week that um, actually on ESPN, I think that he, one, one thing I wanted to note, I think that, um, ESPN is doing a much better job of integrating stats into their coverage and meaningful stats. So they brought up that Patrick Cantlay has shot at least seven under par in every first round this season. Did you hear that? That's crazy. I didn't hear it's that. It's crazy. 64 yeah. in his last four events, 64, 64, 65, 64 in the opening round. Joe, here are his Sunday rounds in the last four events. 72, 71, 75, 76. There is, in some of those instances, an 11 to 12 stroke swing. And if it happens once or twice, I would say it's kind of random. But this has kind of become a problem for Patrick Cantlay and a problem for Xander Shoffley and potentially a problem with some of the other PGA Tour players that we've seen earlier in the season on, we need you to be clutch. We want you to close the deal. You're the best players in the game on a time of uncertainty for the Tour. Step up and win. Yeah. I'm, I'm with you, man. It's just not something we've seen from those guys. I mean, I think uh, it was a couple of years ago in the in the FedEx Cup playoffs when uh, when Cantley was battling with Bryson. Yeah. Um, I think that's kind of the only time I've ever seen Cantley in kind of like a killer clutch top mode. And I honestly don't know that I've ever really seen Xander there. Uh, maybe I have, and it's, it's just slipping my mind. But, you know, I know these guys are always around the top of leaderboards, but – as you mentioned, from an outright betting perspective, it's it's kind of one of those things where I've I've just kind of landed on a landed on the place of they might those guys might pop me a couple times a year and yeah it's going to yeah. kind of suck because you know they're great players but I'm willing to take that I'm willing to take that beat you know a couple times a year with them and right and I feel like I can you know maybe grab some more upside at at honestly at better numbers with other guys. Yeah, it's tough because we want to see fire. We want to see volatility. We want to see characters. And, you know, three of them missed the cut. And it was Justin Thomas that people love to root for who will show you some emotion out there. Jordan Spieth, obviously, with the DQ and then Tiger. You know, Joe, I got a problem with PGA Tour rules officials. So these guys have the most meaningless job in terms of interpreting rules in all of sports. My boy, Andy, who was on the show last week was following Patrick Cantlay. And this is not just Patrick Cantlay tour players. I believe are leveraging the rules and what they're leveraging more than anything. And more than the rules is their ability to coerce in many occasions, in my opinion, these officials into giving them relief in any sort of circumstance. They're, they're, they're saying that this is going to affect their swing, um, that this is within the path of their ball, and they're stretching it so far. We're going to nail someone for signing an incorrect scorecard. We're going to nail someone for looking at the coverage at a drop, but they're so lenient in terms of giving these players relief in many instances that I would love to see, like, I'd love to just see one time them to be like, no, like, let's insert common sense into the field here. And that pin is in nowhere near, like, inhibited by the grandstand there. And it just sort of bothers me that I feel like there's such pushovers. And, like, never do you ever see a player ask for relief and really not get it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's a – I mean, we could, we could make this whole night about uh, PGA Tour – rules issues and kind of all the nonsense that goes on. I mean, do we want to get into the 
to the backstopping grandstands behind holes where dudes are yeah. just hammering balls into the grandstand because they know they're getting relief. I mean, we can we could go on and on about this, but the bottom line is it's not just a rules thing, Joe. I mean, these guys have leverage um, that that's been created over the last couple of years um, with with live popping up. Um, yeah, there's a new sort of leverage that they have, kind of kind of a power over the game, and I mean, honestly, frankly, man, I, I think Xander and Cantley, especially those two, I hate single guys out, but they're kind of the they're kind of the model for a lot of things that are wrong with the PGA Tour right now. Why some fans are turned off? Um, yeah. just no passion. Obviously, there for the paycheck. Um, great players, but don't don't really excite you. I mean, you look at a guy like Will Zalatoris, man, that you know that dude would just like rip somebody's heart out to win a major. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can kind of feel that coming through your screen when you watch it. Um, yeah. Not to mention he's a really dynamic shot maker that, that kind of hits, hits shots that not everyone can. Um, you know, if you want to talk about Scotty Scheffler, we know how talented he is. He's Yeah, he's not the most exciting guy in the world, but I feel like he's compelling to watch. Um, Rory, obviously, uh, drama kind of follows him around. Uh, you mentioned JT. So, I mean, they're, they're Victor Hovland's extremely likable, Colin Morikawa, Jordan Spieth. So, I mean, it, there's no shortage of guys that are compelling, but the problem is, especially this year, we're just not seeing those guys uh, battling down the stretch a lot. Um, so, it, it's just kind of been a sleepy year. Um, yeah. And hopefully, either during the Florida swing um, or maybe at Augusta, we can kind of see some fireworks start taking off and get this thing into gear. But it's just been a tough overall year to be a golf fan so far. You know, I'm looking forward to the newly named Cognizant Classic here in two weeks. Uh, I'm going to be on site for that. Always look forward to that event. But this week we've got the Mexico Open. You know, we've got several PGA Tour players from South America. We've got several PGA Tour players from Central America. Um, There is... You know, Rory talked a little bit about it, about this idea and this concept that the PGA Tour needs to branch out and to form this world tour. But when they take like one of their three events a year that aren't in the continental U.S. or just off the coastline and nobody goes to it, like how interested and how vested are the sponsors and the players and the PGA Tour policy in really creating like this sense of a world tour it throws off their timing it throws off their tv schedules like imagine if they were going all around the world like live and they're playing in kenya and south africa and australia and sweden like they would have no tv rights deals their numbers would plummet because it seemingly is the biggest thing that they're holding on to right now is this look at how many people watch the pga tour and did you see that only twenty thousand people are watching live on youtube I don't think that matters as much, but that's like the main point that everyone wants to harp on is that golf fans are watching the PGA Tour. And I don't even know if it's they're choosing that. That's just where they know to find golf. And that's one of the things that inhibits this idea of having a world tour is it throws off all those schedules. And frankly, when you leave the country and go to a place like Mexico that you should be willing to support the game, the players don't want to make that trip. They've shown it. Nobody's here. Yeah, I mean, exactly. We've seen, I mean, we've seen in the past when we had a couple years of the WGC in Mexico, you know, when players are incentivized, um, they're a little more willing to make that trip. But when it's just a regular tour stop, they're just not going to do it, man. Um, Especially when it's, you know, we've seen this tournament kind of fall into some tough spots on the schedule. And, you know, this year in particular, sandwiched between um, the West West Coast Swing and Riviera, and uh you know the start of the florida Florida. swing so it's just a kind of a natural week uh to take off for a lot of the guys and there's really you know they're not incentivized to to kind of make that longer trip so um this is what you get and and honestly joe i I texted you earlier today i mean do we really need this event i mean there's no rules that say um i mean we're going to play pga dfs we're going to bet um, there, there's no doubt about that. I'm going to watch it. Yeah. Yeah. If there's golf, we're going to watch it, but <laughs> is there truly a need for this, for this event? I mean, there's no, no law that says you have to have PGA tour golf every week. 
Um, and yeah. this, is the, this is the top of the top of field and top of event. I mean, Tony came back as the defending champion, but if, if Tony Fino is not the defending champion, he, do you think he's in Mexico this week? Yeah. Um, so it's just, you know, it's a glorified kind of a glorified corn fairy tour event, man. Now I hear you, man. Let's do our job though. Let's talk about the course for a sec. All right, course preview section brought to you by my boys over at the Fantasy Golf Pod. Check my guys, Chad, Eric, Jish out. They got the live show up. They got the first look um, each and every week. They provide excellent PGA golf content. Look, the boys have actually, last week, I see them recalling some some nice hot takes from Chad on Will Zalatoris. Um, so he was right on that. Congrats on the free square, Chad Eckert. You are a great fan. You are a great friend. We always love you guys. Fantasy Golf Pod. Okay, course preview. Here's the deal, Joe Nicely. Uh, you just got to hit it pretty far, man. And, and I know that that's like cheap and an easy way around it. But my guy DB over at the Tour Junkies um, had it earlier today. Eight of the top 10 on the leaderboard in both the last two years have over 175 mile an hour ball speed. What that means is that they're in like the top third to top quarter of the field in driving distance, particularly like what you want to hone in if you really want to kind of get in the weeds this week is carry distance, apex height, these type of things because of the past nature of past palum grass, which is throughout uh, spongy velcro just doesn't roll out so not only do you need to hit it far you need to hit it high um the other thing that may go slightly overlooked joe is long iron play 60 percent of shots last year came from over 175 yards that's outrageous the number of shots from over 200 yards was like three times what you typically see at a pga tour event wind can create some havoc here although it's not directly on the coast it's close um, while it's not overly penal in terms of like elevation and stuff like that, where it's hard to judge the wind, you still get gusty natures because you are on that Pacific coastline. It can play a factor. Like John Rahm had a quote last year. I wrote it up in the course preview article where he was like, there are holes that I was like driver three wood on last year. There are long ass par fours on this course. Of course, past Palom greens. I don't really... It's hard for me to say. We don't see them much, right? But when we do, I, can you say that it's good for worse putters or better putters? I think it all depends on the individual, and it's kind of a little bit of a coin flip there and a scenario based on that individual player. Course history has looked a little bit sticky here. If you want a comp course, you know, they played the I, the one that I like best is the one that they played earlier in Mexico in the fall swing that Eric Van Ruyen won at the WWT, which was at El Cardinal, just resort style, 40 yard wide fairways, no penalty for a big miss, bombs away, take big drivers. That's the end of the deal. What do you think? Yeah, man, not, not a lot to add there, Joe, honestly. Um, you know, as you mentioned, only only a couple of years sample size to dive into this thing. And, you know, we were guessing a few years ago when this tournament debuted kind of kind of how it would play. We thought Bombers would succeed here. Right. Um, you know, thought good long iron players would succeed here. And and so far, we've kind of been right. Um, you know, so the, the book, uh, it's been pretty by the book uh, in two trips here. Um, you mentioned some wind. I think that's really the only defense of this golf course is if that wind gets going. We saw that a couple of years ago. Um, scoring was a little bit difficult in the first edition of this event. But yeah. um, last year, you know, Tony, I think ended up at 24 under, had had John Ron right there. So yep. um, no wind. We're probably looking at 20 plus under. But I'm, I'm with you, man. Uh, driving distance 1A and long iron play 1B for me this week. You know, one of the things that I think is is sort of intriguing about these events that are relatively straightforward in terms of player profile that you're looking for, right? Um, you play a lot more, I would say, PGA DFS than I do. So I'm curious of this. As there's become so many more available options for quality golf content in data, in tools have advanced where we all have a better understanding and sources at our fingertips to sort the best players for the course fit but at the same time i'm like we're all so close to this that if you look at the percentage of a player pool in a big gpp DraftKings contest 
what percentage of those people are using these tools and have that. Like, do you think this is a week where everyone in our community is going to have the same prevailing narrative that you stick to the model, you stick to what you know is successful here, and you try to outlast the, you know, be, have a leg up on the 40% of people that don't have the access to research tools? Or do you think so many people have become sharp at this point that it may be advantageous to completely swerve, go with guys with below average ball speed who are good long iron players and try to create leverage via smaller ownership? Where do you sort of stand on where things are at in PGA DFS from that standpoint? Yeah, I think uh, a great question, man. I think the uh, I think the fields are certainly a lot sharper than they used to be. Um, I, I've been doing this for six years, six or seven years. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's, it's just been a monumental leap um, from when I first started playing PGA DFS until now. Um, so certainly much, much sharper. And I imagine that's just because of all the, all the amazing tools that are out there, all the, all the data that's available. And, you know, I think, it's one of those things where you where you kind of try to counteract that a bit, maybe um, by making some pivots. I, I think a, an event like this with a really weak field, um, where it's a lot of kind of regular grinders um, will be playing this week. Um, maybe not as many casuals like like that would maybe play last week at Genesis. Um, I think ownership really concentrates. I think you'll see a lot of as the week progresses. I think you'll see a lot of folks. Um, on the same guys, both from a DFS perspective and from from an outright betting perspective. I mean, we'll talk about that a little bit as we get into it. I've kind of kind of tweaked my card a little bit this week just because I was landing on these guys and I was like, <laughs> everybody's going to be on this week. You know, yeah. it, it's like, and so I, I really think it's, you know, it's not the greatest week. There's a lot of volatility that comes with an event like this, but you can, you can try to take advantage of that volatility by pivoting um, a little bit. Um, you know, obviously the leverage is going to be more useful in DFS than in, than in outright bets, but yeah. um, that's something I like to take a look at. It's kind of where everyone's landing, and and I think you'll see ownership and and popularity in bets kind of pulling up this week. Let's look at the board. Top of the board this week, Mr. Nicely. Just like you mentioned, your defending champion, Tony Finau, is seven and a half to one. Nikolai Hojgaard is 16 to one. Emiliano Grillo, 22 to one. Steven Yeager, 22 to one. Keith Mitchell, 28. Pendra, 28. Dietrich, 28 to one. Those are the players under 30 to one, Joe. Um, what are your thoughts here at the top of the board? Have you honed in on anyone? Have you made any bets? Um, yeah, I'm kind of, I'm kind of allowing myself one chalk bet this week. One, uh, one chalky play, I feel like, but, um, he's just a guy I'd rather be, uh, I don't want to miss. Um, I want to be, be in there when he gets there. And that's, uh, Nikolai Hogard. Um, I kind of think a lot about, uh, Ludwig Bear and, uh, Nikolai Hogard. And I, I'm thinking if, you know, if, if Bear were in this event, where would he be? And, and I think he'd be down there closer to like 12, 12 or 10 to 1 maybe um, if Aberg's teeing it up this week. So, you know. Might be the favorite. Yeah. I mean, the number's not great on Hogard, but I'm I'm in, man. I just think the kid's, you know, he's got top 10 in the world potential. Um, he's a savant off the tee, which is obviously what we're looking for this week. Super long. Um, he's a He's a winner. Uh, won three times on the DP World Tour already. So, um, and you know, it's something I'm kind of taking into account is this is going to be the second time he's seen this golf course. He's a lot of a lot of golf courses in the U.S. and North America. He's still seeing for the first time, but he he played this event last year. Um, so this is going to be the second look, his second look at this golf course, and I just think he's unbelievably talented. The upsides there. Um, so I'm in on Hogard. Uh, I, I just can't get there with Tony. Um, Tony could very well win this thing, man. And maybe maybe you want to talk a little bit about about what you do with Finau, but I'm just I'm just never in at this number. 
Um, and especially yeah. with Tony, I know the results have been great in this event. Um, the underlying statistics have actually looked looked really encouraging for Tony. Um, so I mean, I could I could see a breakout again this week, and he's certainly the class of this field. But um, yes. I just can't get there at this number. Absolutely, the class of the field. Not not even close to considering Tony Finau at seven and a half to one right now um, for a number of reasons. It's just not a number that's attractive for Tony Finau, who's not historically a great closer. I understand that he's the favorite. I wanted to pull up my, this is my power rankings. Um, these go out on Sunday night for anyone. Um, I tweet them out every week. They're completely free. They're up on Roto Baller. I ranked Tony Finau second this week because Will Zalatoris had not yet withdrawn. But I wanted to pull this up because I wanted to look at where Tony Finau was at last year heading into this event before in comparison to what he is this year heading into this event. So last year, um, Tony Finau at the Mexico Open had his best strokes gain putting week of the entire 2023 season when he won here. Now, before that, as a marker for things maybe to come, Tony Finau was in a great run of putting. Um, he had gained strokes putting in 10 of his previous 14 starts before having a monumental great putting week in Mexico. That's not the case currently um he has lost strokes putting in six of his last seven he has changed to a new style of putting that i think he deployed first at the hero world challenge which is disgusting it's like toe up it's hitchy it looks like he's got a little waggle like he's about to hit a driver in it um so he's not putting with nearly the same confidence and to roll in putts on past palum you need to hit them with a lot of speed because these are slower than average greens and that's easier to do when you have a confident hot putter than when you have a putter with major question marks. I still think he's the class T to green, but ultimately in a birdie fest, so much of it comes down to putting performance. In this case, I can't back Tony Finau seven and a half to one, but I did take Steven Jaeger bombs. Um, I've liked Jaeger for a while. I've been looking for him to capitalize on a great late summer fall for quite a bit. He is well above field average in ball speed. Um, he's picked up a ton of distance over the last two years. He is really, really good. I have him second in the entire field on approach shots over 175 yards over the last 20 rounds. He had a third place, I believe, at the Farmers, where he led for quite a while a few weeks ago. So glimpses of form are there. He is the top five par five scorer in this entire field. And that's important because the par fives, while you have four of them, three of them come in like the final eight holes. And they are long par fives, but they are four of the five easy holes. Only five holes. Even given this is a birdie fest, only five holes played under par last year. Four of them were significantly under par, and that was these par fives. Jaeger's a great par five scorer. I got 22 and a half to one. Not like that half makes a huge difference. You can still get him 22 to one now. That's the guy I like. He's got two top 20s at this event the last two years. I think that he's primed for victory. I think that he's hungry to capitalize and get that first PGA Tour win. I think this is a good spot where he's one of the elite players in the field. And I have him ranked second in my model uh, right behind Finau as the second best player. Yeah, I'm not going to. I'm not going to argue with you much there, Joe. I think Jaeger's a fine play this week. Um, there's a lot to like about him on this golf course. I actually wrote him up in my horse for the course article. Um, played this event both both years, the T18 yeah. and the T15. Um, so just really, really solid. Um, pretty much what we'd expect from Jaeger. Uh, in my article this week, I I called him a, a classic tweener. Um, and and by that, I mean he's – He's probably too too good to be on the Corn Ferry Tour, but he's had trouble sticking around and and really making splashes on the PGA Tour. Um, and I think that's a pretty fair characterization. I know he's improved a lot. Um, there are still concerns for me as far as just from an outright perspective uh, of his ability to close. He's 110th yeah. on the PGA Tour in final round scoring average, which kind of scares me. And we, we saw a little bit of that. Um, at Tory, uh, just, yes. just did not play well at all in that final round. But um, 
makes a lot of sense statistically. I think he's he's trending in the right direction. Um, had a lot of success on the Corn Ferry Tour. We talked about the similarities uh, to, to this event and Corn Ferry Tour events um, and mm-hmm. especially the level of competition. So um, don't mind Jaeger at all. Don't mind taking a shot. Uh, and a Tennessee, by way of Germany, a Tennessee boy. So I'm always pulling for Jaeger. There we go. Um, moving down the board in the 30 middle range here, you've got Patrick Rogers, um, Thunder Bear, Thorborn Olison coming off a win um, on the European on the DP World Tour a few weeks ago where he had an incredible final round. Ryan Fox, actually, I believe the fourth highest ranked player in this field, but via the OWGR, which has got some news today. Brandon Wu, great course history here, playing terribly, 40 to 1. Davis Thompson playing a little better. Uh, 40 to one Eric Van Ruyen. I mentioned his win at El Cardinal here. Jake Knapp is a popular pick at 40 to one Rio his hit his. How do you say it, Joe? It's a two. It's a Sunni. <laughs> it's a Sunni. There yeah. we go. Uh, our boy Spencer loves Rio. I think he crashed the Rio market this morning when he released him as number three in his model. Um, Doug Gim, Mark Hubbard, Cam Champ, Mackenzie Hughes. These are some of the guys in this range that I think have a decent opportunity to win in a weaker field like this. Are you inclined to bet any of them? Yeah, I'm actually on a couple of these guys, man. Um, this is this is kind of where I'm falling. I'm. I'm going whole guard and then I'm just kind of popping on up um, to, to take some of these longer shots. So um, I got Davis Thompson circled at 40 to one. Um, you can, you can still grab him at 40 to one in a couple places. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's kind of what I'm, what I was talking about earlier about maybe looking for small pivots, um, maybe for maybe thinking a little bit outside the box. I mean, I think a lot of, a lot of folks are going to be drawn to EVR. Um, who I also like a lot of a lot of folks are going to like a you know a Taylor Pendrith that you can get maybe around thirty. Um, so I, I'm interested in, in Davis Thompson there at forty just because I I don't think a lot of folks are going to land there. Uh, the form's been really sneaky good. Um, in 13 starts since the Rocket Mortgage last year, he's got six top 25s. Um, has only missed two cuts. Um, so so kind of under the radar good. Long enough off the tee, he's a really good long iron player, Joe. Third in proximity from 200-plus yards. Um, you mentioned when you were talking about this golf course, just yep. how many shots these guys are going to see this week. Um, so that's really something I'm trying to focus in on. Um, I like Davis Thompson's long iron play. Um, overall, he's second in this field in, in greens and regulations gain, and he's fifth in par four scoring. Um, he's coming off a good outing um, in Phoenix. He gained 4.2 strokes on approach there, T15. Um, so I, I think he's a really talented kid. I've had an eye on him since he was an amateur. He's from, he's from down south down here. Um, so a lot of us have known about him for a while, and and I think it's just a matter of time before that kind of translates to the professional level. i uh, seen him make some leaps and bounds already. So at 40-1 to 1 in this field, willing to take a flyer on Davis Thompson. Speaking of young, hot players, don't have Davis Thompson, do have Jake Knapp. Um, My boy Baroff was hip to Jake Knapp at like the end of last year and has been kind of beating the drum on him. So, um, yeah, I'm taking him. He's probably one of the top five longest guys in the entire field. I love some of his early numbers in terms of long iron approach play. Um, I like his confidence. I like his ability to pound the ball past everyone. You know, bet the number is a site I've been using. They have this sort of bombers paradise uh, meter that they use. Um, This is one of the highest correlated courses to sheer distance of anyone. If you hit it 20, they have, if you hit it 20 yards further than the average player, you are on average gaining over two strokes per round on that, on the field. Um, it's a huge advantage. It's starting on second base. It's starting, you know, with a 10 point lead in hoops. It's any type of advantage you can relate to other sports. That's what distance is here. That's why I'm taking Jake Knapp. And then I'm going to go completely opposite direction with my second one. And it was my first pick of the day at 55 to one when it opened up. And it was Mark Hubbard. I was waiting to bet Mark Hubbard. Um, while he doesn't have the distance, I heard him sincerely tell a reporter at Pebble Beach that this is the best his iron play has ever been in his career. His numbers speaking like seemingly didn't look great at Pebble Beach, 
but they didn't show shot link data from the round at Spyglass that week. The week before that, let me see if I have it. See if I have Hubbard pulled up. I think I did. Yes. The week before that at the Farmers, he gained 8.3 strokes on approach. He gained 1.3 at Phoenix. He hit a couple of balls in the water that got him out of contention. But I think that this guy is playing really good golf. He's got, where were his finishes in this particular event? Mark Hubbard, 18th last year, 51st the year before. Um, I just think that he's trending in a good direction, near a victory, and I like his ability comparative to these players in his range. Cameron Champ, Doug Gim, Austin Ekro, Justin Sa. Hubbard's a better player than all of them. He's a better iron player, and while he doesn't possess elite long distance off the tee box he's extremely proficient with a six iron through a four iron in his hand i think he can leverage a little bit of that advantage this week and maybe get a hot putter on these greens yeah i like i like hubbard a lot i think that's a great call i i really studied hard on that one um and may even get there um he's a veteran knows how to handle himself yeah. Uh, we've seen him pop up on leaderboards, you know, kind of over the last two, three years and come really close and, and kind of be in the mix and, and get the feel. And, and it seems like when guys kind of get to that point where they're kind of banging a head, banging their head against that, uh, against that ceiling, eventually they break through. Um, and, and this is kind of a, you know, it's never a low stress environment when you're trying to win a PGA tour event, but, um, this is the type of, you know, environment where I could see a guy like Hubbard breaking through. So, yeah, I uh, really, really like that call. I've got a, I've got a similar guy, Joe, um, kind of, kind of going against the bomber grain. Um, I'll tag Michael Kim at 60 to one. He's long um, now though. Yeah, he, he is, but I, I kind of feel he's like I'm in that Hubbard mold. Um, you know, he's, he's certainly kind of on the other end of a, the spectrum of, of like a Jake Knapp or like a Rio. Yeah. Um, kind of falls in that Hubbard guy has been around the block, knows how to handle himself. I mean, he's a pro's pro. Um, back on the PGA Tour now and playing well, so um, I, I like him. He's he's actually second in this field, and birdies are better gained. Um, so so you know, even though we don't maybe don't think about Michael Kim as an explosive scorer, he can he can get hot and get it going and and take it low. We saw you know it's feels like a lifetime ago, but we saw kind of what he did at the John Deere Classic several years ago when he absolutely just ran away from that field. Um, in a birdie fest. So uh, I like his form. Um, I think he's trending in the right direction. We, we've seen some some strong outings recently. So um, a lot to like for Michael Kim. So I'm that's my 60 to 1 guy. I'm also in just the shout out Spencer. I got in on Rio um, at 45 to 1 just because I think there's a ton of talent there. You can kind of place him in that whole guard bucket of, uh, or the Jake Knapp bucket of just a really talented young guy that, that you want to kind of be in early on. Yeah, I was looking at SH Kim earlier too, it was 65 to 1. Um, where did I see SH Kim? Here he is. Um, SH Kim is actually longer than you think. He's 30th in carry distance in the field, and I did not consider him a bomber. So kind of one of those sneaky ones, maybe like a Michael Kim that hits it a lot further than you think. He's great out of the fairways. He's sixth in the field on approaches over 200 yards. Um, and he's 12th in strokes game putting on sort of pass pal and specific greens. So he's another one that I kind of considered in that 65 range. Uh, moving down the board just slightly in the start, we're starting to get in the long shot territory here, Joe. I'm going to kind of save mine for the video that's out tomorrow on the Rotoballer YouTube page launching long shots. I'm going to give you three picks all over like 65, 70 to one. Trust me, they're all going to be deep this week. Parlay with a little top 20. It's about eight minutes long. It's well worth your attention. But is there anyone, Joe, nicely, before we get you out of here, that you like in sort of this deep, balmy range where we've been seeing the winners come on the PGA Tour? Yeah, I mean, I think you can you can take some shots this week. And, uh, you know, in this type of field, on this type of golf course, it's kind of the perfect spot to do it, um, especially when we've – We've seen a year with uh, all these long shot winners. There's a lot of guys, Joe, in that kind of, you know, 60 to 70 range, a, a Maverick McNeely. Um, I think a lot of folks are going to like Jonathan Vegas this week just because he's so good off the tee and he's a, an excellent long iron player. So um, there's there's some interesting spots there kind of in that mid to long, uh, mid to long odds, guys. Um, Sam Stevens, I saw just a number pop at, a, I think it's bet 365. 
Um, you can grab him at 90 to one. I'm not yep, sure if you're, that. yeah. Um, that number popped out to me. If I, if I can lock that in at 90 to one, I'm, I'm there on Sam Stevens. I, I like a lot of what he can do. We've seen him play some, some good golf down the stretch in 2023. Um, talented player off the tee. So I'm, I'm intrigued by that 90 to one number. Um, Carson Young is another guy that's right there at like 90, around 90 or a hundred to one. Um, and man, just such an excellent long iron player. He's first in this field in proximity from 200 plus yards. Um, saw him play well here last year. Um, this golf course has three par threes of over 195 yards. That's, that's another, another area where that kind of long iron play comes in. And, and Carson Young is one of the best in the field uh from from that distance so um, i mean looking at 90 or 100 to one don't mind taking a flyer on carson young this week love it man hey are you going to you got another you got another podcast right after this right you're going to join byron over on the pga show on rotoballer yeah i'm hopping on with byron spencer uh spencer's feeling one under the weather today so i'm hopping on with byron tonight i'm i'm all about the mexico open this week brother he ate some of that in and out that got tiger yeah, yeah, I think so. Um, I think I got several guys last week uh, from from what I was hearing. Uh, I don't know if it was the In and Out Burger or something going on at Riff, but uh, there are a yeah. lot of guys kind of caught up in it. And Spencer, uh, maybe maybe got a little touch of that. Listen, man, um, it was a pleasure to have you join me. As I've mentioned to you privately, I'm thrilled to be a part of this team that you've sort of assembled. I wish you all the best. Good luck this week. I'll catch you at the show in a few minutes with Byron. Make sure everyone go over and follow uh, the at Rotoballer PGA account and Mr. Joe Nicely on Twitter. Uh, thanks for coming on Preferred Lines, buddy. Yeah, man. Thank you so much for having me, Joe. Love everything you do. You're a, you're a first class, brother. Thanks, man. All right, man. Talk soon. See ya. Okay, see you. All right, guys. Awesome to have Joe join us. Let's do a little bit of final thoughts and get out of here. Here's okay. This is going to be a little bit of a weird one this week. Um, I usually try to come up with, I don't always say a problem. I want to come up with a question and then I want to present an answer. Here's one I don't have any answers for. And part of this segment is just me talking through things and being a little bit vulnerable and reaching out to someone. This may hit home with nobody. This may hit home with you. So this is why I'm saying it, because I think that some of you may be able to provide me with a little bit of help in this area, in which I might need it. I struggle with anxiety and anxiety related to fear. And I think a lot of people may not want to talk about this, but I guess I'm going to open the door and, and see if anybody else sort of feels the way I do. But daily, um, uh, there are a lot of things that scare me and I worry and I have this fear and anxiety that because things are going somewhat good for me, that that means something bad is about to happen. And I really have issues dealing with this and have been working actively on different coping mechanisms, some healthy, some probably unhealthy, but trying to find ways to alleviate this stress and anxiety. And it's hard because what I've found is that the world today is geared to elicit a response of fear out of you. You think the algorithms are in tune in trying to show you things that you like, on Twitter, on Facebook, on Instagram, they may be to a degree, but they're also actively trying to show you things that elicit a response of fear or will scare you because fear is the strongest response. More than happiness, more than anything else, the biggest emotional response is through fear. Every time I drive my kids, I, I think and I worry, what if I do something wrong? What if this happens to them? What if something happens to my wife today while I'm at work? What if one of these maniacs with an AR-15 run into my kid's school? What are my, what's my first steps? These are the crazy things that like go through my mind and that's probably not normal, but I have so much anxiety regarding this that it's really hard for me to find ways to healthily cope 
with dealing with that. Um, one of the things that I found that I wanted to share that I think is helpful for me has been doing these cold plunge tubs. The reason being, and I try to do them later in the day, is that I don't know. There's some sort of probably phony science around the physical health benefits of them, um, which can be debated. But I know that there is a moment in that day that I'm going to be the hardest three minutes of my day that I'm going to struggle to get through that I'm going to hate to do. And that is what I sort of am able to fear in a healthier way than worrying about all this other bullshit. So by inserting that thought into these receptors that manage the fear in my brain, it sort of alleviates them from going other places that really put me in a bad spot mentally, if that makes sense. I try to embrace that this is going to absolutely suck. Okay. And that kind of has helped me to deal with it. Um, that's one of the mechanisms that I've tried to sort of deploy. And I hope that this is somewhat helpful. Like it's really hard being a father today. Um, there are so many things in this world is going to be so much harder for my kids than it is for me. And I worry about that constantly. Um, it really bothers me. So these things that I can do to make myself feel better and think less about that puts me in a better mind state to be a more productive person and be a better person for them daily because they don't need that person. They don't need that father that I think that my brain is telling me to be. Um, positivity is something that I always try to harp on, but it's something that I struggle with and something that I battle with internally each and every day. And I hope that if anything else, you like this podcast for the golf stuff, but I hope that maybe this hits home with one or a few people. If you have any ideas, I'm happy to discuss them. Feel free to DM me ideas and uh, what you're sort of thinking and what helps you get through these moments. But I like to take times like this to tell you that I'm struggling with this shit. I don't know the answer to it. And I want this to be a way that we can all sort of connect through the avenue of a silly little golf show like this. My name is Joe Idoni. This has been the Preferred Lines podcast for the Mexico Open. You guys are absolutely the best for listening to me ramble on about my own problems, for listening for me to give uh, golf picks that haven't hit once this year. It's coming soon. Like and subscribe to the YouTube channel. I'm out of here. I'm going to catch you next time. Home game next week for the Honda Classic. Make sure to check out that show. I may have a PGA Tour player coming on the show next week to break down the course. All the best to each and every one of you. Have a great week. Um, try to eliminate the fear. Stay off social media. Feeds into it if you're ever in one of those ruts. Talk soon. I'm out. Peace. Mm -hmm.